Welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's July the 3rd, 2017. In this podcast, we're focusing on a country series about Germany and we have a two-part series looking at Germany's very interesting health system. We're going to focus on the first paper, which is talking about the history and evolution of social insurance, which un underpins Germany's health system. The second paper in the series, which we are not discussing, concerns Germany's ongoing and potential future contribution in the field of global health. I'm delighted to be joined by a leading expert in all matters to do with Germany's health system, and that is Professor Busser. Thank you, Richard. I'm Reinhard Busser. I'm a professor of healthcare management at the Berlin University of Technology. I have been in this position since 15 years, and I'm a medically trained person, got a public health degree, and I'm also involved as a co-director with the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies. Gosh, there's a lot to talk about here. It's very interesting reading paper one, but perhaps you could start with some context, because Germany's health system today is, is very much a legacy of what was put in place towards the end of the 19th century and it's very much about social insurance, isn't it? Can you just give us a little bit of the background? Yes, in this paper we describe really the by now 135-year history of the German social health insurance system since its legal introduction through the then-Chancellor Bismarck in 1883. He didn't invent it, but he could actually build on, on already pre-existing structures where people had voluntarily, partly together with their employers, partly as collectives of self-employed craftsmen and so on, set up uh, health insurance uh, funds, what we call sickness funds. It's basically for the whole 135 years, and this is what we explore in the paper, it's still based on some of the same underlying principles, and two of the main ones are solidarity and self-governance, which have been there from the beginning, while we explore the, the, the new element of competition, which came much later also in the paper. And with Germany chairing the, the G20 and, and being very prominent on, on the global stage, why is this a particularly good moment to, to look at Germany's health system, do you think? Well, I think it's, it's a particularly good moment with the global developments. I think that there is no longer this unipolar world uh, which we used to have that also countries around the world in low and middle income countries in Africa, Asia, and so on, that also in regard to their uh, health systems are looking for more alternatives and with the drive towards universal health coverage, often also seen as universal health insurance. The world's oldest social health insurance system has re-emerged as an interesting example to look at. Just give some examples of, because I think it's very relevant, isn't it, in, in other contexts. Germany's health system has been very resilient. You've only got to look at the history of Germany in the past 135 years. But yet the health system, remarkably, has continued to evolve and has remained pretty stable, hasn't it? Yes, and that's, I think, probably one of the most remarkable characteristics of the, of the health system. Of course, it has evolved over time, but many of the important characteristics so that a relatively large percentage of the population is insured was already reached in the early 20th century. It then took 100 more years before we reached universal coverage. But even more interesting, as, as you say, when you look at the German history 
over the last 100 years. We had the uh, the end of the of the First World War when the uh, imperial empire crushed. We had a revolution and and the first republic came we had the nazi period we had the german division and interestingly the social health insurance system was not only kept in 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 the old west germany but also in east germany as the only country in the eastern bloc at least on paper they also kept the bismarckian system so they had two sickness funds and so they never had the nationalization of the health system even in east germany and so of course there was a big transformation back after unification that the eastern health system was brought to the standard of the western health system but the the concept of health insurance, the concept of sickness funds was still there. And that's the most amazing thing. So no matter whether we had a democracy or a dictatorship, the health system stayed more or less intact. And related to that, and also relevant to the way Germany's health system performs today, is this key concept that it's not a nationalised health service, is it? It's devolved to these autonomous sickness funds. So you've actually got the power put back outside of government, outside central government. Do you think that's important when looking at a, at a health system? Yeah, that's probably the most important characteristic. I already said that we have this solidarity and the self-governance uh, uh, values. Solidarity, of course, between rich and poor, sick and healthy and so on, is also seen in tax finance systems like the British National Health Service, while the self-governance aspect is not well understood. And in this paper, we aim at uh, describing this really for an international audience. And by self-governance, we mean both what was already there uh, in the times of Bismarck, the self-governance of the individual institutions, so that all the people who belong to one sickness fund as a member, so we don't say insured, we really say we, they are the member of their sickness fund and they vote for the board and so on. So we have the self-governance within the institutions, similar on the physician side, that the physicians association, that all the physicians elect their boards and so on, which then contract with the sickness funds. But we also have, and especially relevant over the last decade, decade and, and a half, so since 2000, we have this joint self-governance, which has started 100 years ago, but has really been increased over the last years. And that means that the actors within the system, the sickness funds, the hospitals, and the physicians associations, that they make many of the decisions which in other countries would be left to the ministries of health, that we have this decision-making authority outside politics, actually, in the self-governance arena. And uh, most visible is that in Germany with this so-called federal joint committee where all the actors are represented and which is like a little health, health parliament. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I suppose it begs the question, you know, what is the core role of the Ministry of Health if, if the self-governance of the devolved sickness funds is, is, it works so well? Well, but first of all, we have to say that our Ministry of Health is relatively small. I mean, given such a big country as, as Germany, the health ministry has around 500 employees. And its main role is really, on, on the one hand, to prepare a new law, which then has to be passed by parliament and is also 
involved, but often not directly doing the supervision of the system. For the actual supervision of the self-governing actors, we have arm's length bodies like the Federal Insurance Authority, which supervises the sickness funds. But so the ministry really has a as a steering and regulatory role. And in terms of recent developments in the health system, and we can just go to the near past and walk forward and describe and define how the health system works now. There have been challenges along the way, haven't there? There was financial pressure put on the system in the 1970s and an interesting development in, the, I guess, in the 90s was the introduction of competition within the sick funds and, and giving patients more choice. Just, just walk through the recent past. Well, maybe the, the 1970s is, is interesting because it also shows the both the positive sides and the negative sides of a de facto earmarked system. I mean, every employee in, in Germany, when he or she pays or when, he, when, when they get their paycheck, they see exactly the percentage which is deducted for health insurance. And with this, the people also elect the, the boards of the sickness funds and so on. But of course, the, the, the total amount of money collected is directly related to, on the one hand, the development of, of wages, and on the other hand, the percentage of unemployed because clearly unemployment benefits are lower than wages. And in the 1970s, after the oil crisis, unemployment went up sharply. And at the same time, we saw the effects of the modernization of the health system. In the early 1970s, we had decided that we needed to upgrade and modernize our hospital infrastructure. So a, a shrinking income base and the rapidly increasing expenditure exactly came at the same time. And because there were no tax subsidies to the health system at that time, meaning that the system has to be entirely financed through the contribution of the health insurance members, that meant that for the first time we talked about cost containment to bring expenditure in line with the, with the income. So that was, it was a, a, a troublesome phase and, uh, and, and it started the cost containment idea. In the 1990s, there were, after the unification, uh, similar challenges. I mean, wages in the East were, were lower and people got exactly the same benefits. So there was also a mismatch, at least between the average contributions and the expenditure. So there was a double strategy in the 1990s. On the one hand, there was again cost containment measures, putting budgets in place for, for hospitals, but also for ambulatory care physicians and so on. And on the other hand, another set of measures try to increase the efficiency of the system. And the main vehicle was that people were given a choice of their sickness fund. Previously, most people didn't have a choice and were assigned to a certain sickness fund based on their area of residence and or their occupation. And since 1993, people could freely choose their sickness fund 
And so the ideal was that the service quality and the efficiency among this, uh, in the system uh, would be stimulated if the sickness funds were in competition with each other. Another characteristics of the sickness funds I note, interestingly, to follow on from that point, is that, that they started negotiating with the manufacturers over pricing and also that uh, they were offering different tariffs to, to different levels of different service level agreements, I guess, to, to patients. I mean, that's very akin to, to a sort of privatized um, health model, isn't it? But one has to, to see, I mean, the, the principle of solidarity was and still is in place. So we, we, we saw that uh, the competition among the sickness funds were coupled with collective negotiations to the main part regarding hospital services, but also ambulatory care services. So all sickness funds jointly negotiate contracts with, with the providers. And of course, there was and still is an ongoing debate how you can have competition among sickness funds if everything is collective. There needed to be a balance and it was a long development since the late 1990s that we carefully, and sometimes it was two steps forward, one step backwards, that policymakers tried to give, to test fields for the sickness funds to do things individually or with selective contracts. And among these things is that they can do integrated care contracts, so have separate selective contracts with, let's say, a hospital which is offering a surgery together with the post-acute phase rehabilitation, that they can negotiate discounted prices with pharmaceutical manufacturers, and can also offer certain, what you already mentioned, certain specific tariffs for the insured, which also has, besides the competition effect, the, um, the element that we still have about 10% of the population with substitutive private health insurance. And there's a certain segment of the population who can choose between the two systems, and these are usually the better off people. So they contribute more to the sickness funds because contributions are income-based. And so if they would opt out to go to private health insurance, this would be a big financial loss to the statutory health insurance system. And so policymakers were also trying to give sickness funds the right to use some, as you rightly say, some instruments uh, which we know from private health insurance to make the statutory public health insurance system more attractive for the rich people to stay in. And the reality is, correct me if I'm wrong, but what we have today in 2017, I mean, there is no such thing as a perfect health system, but Germany clearly has a history of success in its health system. And you've got everyone in Germany enrolled into the statutory system who wants to be, regardless of how much they earn or whether they are employed or not, regardless of their age or their particular health profile. You've got over 100 sickness funds now, haven't you, I think, in the system. That is a success story. There are some challenges that remain from Germany's system. It's I guess it possibly you might say a nice headache to have is this concept of uh, overcapacity. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that? From the outside and, and given the problems in other countries, it's often difficult to understand the problems of the German system, which are clearly there. And overcapacity is probably the main problem. I mean, we have and partly has to do with the self-governance. I mean, it's difficult to see a hospital federation 
actively being involved in closing down hospitals. And so we have overcapacities, especially in the hospital sector, because let's say the new technological developments which would need to, to lead to a higher centralization of services because they are, you know, we, we, we have high technology services where you also need uh, personnel equipped to, to do that. But we still have a hospital infrastructure like in the 1970s with many little hospitals. So on the one hand side, we have too many hospitals who are not enough specialized, but they also Together, they have too many, too many hospital beds. And because we pay and have traditionally paid providers for doing things, hospitals are also not sitting idle, but produce services. And we see in certain areas that the incentives for treating patients mean that probably too many patients are treated, meaning we have a problem of inappropriate treatment. We don't have a problem that people have to wait for treatments, rather that there are overcapacities and too many people are treated. Just to pinpoint next steps or you know, future priorities for the health system, it's addressing the overcapacity problem. Is that the key objective now, do you think? The overcapacities are not simply overcapacities. We, we see that the overcapacities come in hospitals come together with relatively low staffing figures per bed or per hospital case. And so the getting rid or decreasing the overcapacities would at the same time address the quality problem. And the quality problem is especially due to the fact of not being centralized enough and not having enough staff per patient or per occupied bed. So it's not simply getting rid of overcapacities. It's also not primarily a monetary or financial issue. It's really an issue of quality that for the money we spend and which Germany can spend, that we could do better in terms of health outcomes. Indeed. So a, a realignment rather than a kind of revolution, I think. Yes. People often like to talk about reform, reform of health systems. But Germany's, and this goes back to the beginning, doesn't it, in Bismarck in the late 19th century, Germany's health system is a, it's about continuing evolution, isn't it, rather than reform. Is that, is that the best way to describe it? Yes. I mean, it, we don't see this only in health systems. I mean, it's probably also related to the way we govern our country through coalitions and one party is moving out of the government, another party is coming in. And the health system as it stands, it's definitely one of the things where no party will overthrow it completely. But all parties support the basic ideas and that there's only fight or discussion among the parties, for example, how much should be collective versus selective, how much we should privatize hospitals versus keeping them public and so on. So it's really more around the edges and that's why we see continuous development but not touching the core of the system. And with an election coming up in Germany this September, that's reassuring to know, given there's such a lot of instability around in the world at the moment. It sounds like the German health system is going to stay healthy for a long time to come. Professor Reinhard Busser on the line from Berlin. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Many thanks indeed for speaking to The Lancet. Thank you. And hopefully this is of use to the readers and the listeners of this podcast. Thank you.